A superstar is reportedly available, and someone took the time to link him to Cleveland? <laughs> Where's the defibrillator? You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. I'm TJ, that's Zach. We're brought to you in part by SeatGeek. Use code Selby to save $20 off your first ticket order. No, we're not sitting here talking about Guardians playoffs, and we will get to some some playoff news. But I have to get a temperature of the room here because it's not often we can begin a show. I mean, we, we, we at times, Zach will talk about hypothetical situations, but it's very rare that a national baseball reporter, your colleague over at The Athletic, Jim Bowden in this case, but a national baseball reporter takes the time to mention Cleveland, linking him to a superstar player like Juan Soto. I don't know if I'm like more shocked that that could even be a possibility or that Jim would even think about mentioning Cleveland. I don't know which is the bigger shock, that he would that Cleveland would even come to his brain regardless of whether or not it could happen. I don't know, man. Where do you stand? I think it's the latter, um especially since was an option one the Yankees. That's where everyone's yeah, mind yes. goes first. Oh, there's a star player who makes a lot of money. <laughs> All right, Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, anybody else? Yeah, I mean, I think it's proof that he at least considered all 30 teams, right? It is. God, it is so funny you mentioned it that way, actually, because when he put that article out, I clicked on it because I was pre-mad. I was mad before actually reading the article in anticipation of there being no mention of Cleveland. Yet, if we're looking at this this player that is only controllable for a year that maybe could make sense in a Bieber swap, doesn't Juan Soto fall right into that category as maybe the best of the bunch? And so when I when I saw that article pop up, I got mad because there's no way he mentioned the Guardians and I clicked on it. The first team is the Yankees. I was this close to screen capturing that part and sending it to you to also maybe make you upset. And I just kept scrolling and then I fell backwards out of my chair. Here are the Guardians at number five. I couldn't believe it. So props to Jim's for for considering every single team that could be a possibility. What do the Padres want? What are they doing? We've heard that they want to trim payroll, but I think when you make all the moves that they've made and spend all the money they've spent the last few years, I assume they still want to be legitimate contenders. So how do you... How do you do all that? I don't I don't know. I mean, they had some pretty bad luck, so maybe you see some positive regression next year. They also have some key free agents. I, I'm really curious to see what they do this winter. Um, and do, if they are going to move Soto, what do they want? Do they want prospects? Do they want young major leaguers? I mean, I know he had mentioned Bieber plus Quan. Um, I don't know that Cleveland would do that. I, I, I just, I'm curious to know what they're looking for. Cause if it's 
Bieber and nothing important for Soto? Like, you have me intrigued. <laughs> and that's not happening. Well, I mean, let's just put that out. That right. part is not happening. There's too much risk with Bieber. If it was Bieber coming off a Cy Young season, then sure. Sure. Then there there could be a possibility of a straight one-for-one swap. But it's not, there's just too much risk, risk attached to him. But I for that to take place. I just wonder though it's cuz it's it's the same for both sides where I'm not sure you're going to get exactly what you want. I'm not sure there's a perfect match. So maybe the perfect match is with each other. I I, I don't know. I I just like we're we're talking about Bieber trades and at first it was like okay, well, you know, we were taught we debated all summer should they move him at the deadline and it was all about what you could get for him. Can you get a young, controllable outfielder? And if if you want one, you better move him now because you probably can't get that for one year of control. And then he got hurt. It became a moot point. And now, you, I mean, you've kind of led the way to, to shifting our thinking to finding someone with similar limited team control who can help the offense. And if the Padres want to still contend and Snell's going to walk in free agency and you need pitching help, I mean, that's, that's a... Something to think about, at least. Honestly, I don't... The straight one-for-one one doesn't make sense for the Padres. It would, it would make sense for Cleveland, not so much for the Padres. So let's, let's address what the offer was that Jim put together, which was just something he threw at the wall here. It's not like there's really anything based in, in reality here, but we can at least have the conversation of whether or not they should. Like, this is on the table. Bieber and Quan for Soto. Walk through. What are the pros and cons? And for the Padres, I I don't. Is it easier to replace a Soto and maybe add a, a top of the rotation starter? Like I'm struggling to to even on the side of Cleveland and me thinking about what the cons could be in making a deal like this. I then turn it around to the Padres, and I'm not sure I could be sold on it being totally a, a pro move on in that regard either. So. I, I don't know. I need to walk through this as the show goes on. Okay. But let me throw this at you. From the Padres' perspective, don't you feel like you can get more for him, potentially, depending on the team, from a team that thinks maybe it could sign him long-term? If you are the Yankees and you're trading for Soto, isn't the first thing you're doing offering Soto $400 million? That doesn't that benefit yeah. the Padres because that team's more motivated? And then, what if Shane Bieber, Cali boy, wife has her coastal cowgirl clothing line? Couldn't you do the same with him? Be cheaper than Snell, I would think, at this point, given the, the recent history. Isn't isn't that more motivation? Doesn't that make him a little more attractive? Just knowing that maybe you could sign him to a deal. I I don't know. Just spitballing. No, no. I think it it does. I'm just, from Cleveland's perspective. You're talking about a guy that even even with as many people have talked about Soto as being this disappointing player because he's he hasn't reached the heights of potentially what they th- like. People thought what, what Jordan Alvarez is right now, that's what they thought just Soto was going to be for the next decade. And at times he has been that good, and at times not so much. 
yet you look at the numbers overall. It's like, what, a five-and-a-half win player this year for the Padres? There aren't many players that you could trade for that could potentially win an MVP for you this year. Now, you could make the case that Bieber could put together another Cy Young season this year. Comes back healthy, maybe regains a little bit of velocity. There's a path for it. I wouldn't say it's the likeliest outcome, but there's a path here for it, especially motivation of a last year of a of a contract. All of that could play in his favor, sure. But all of the other deals we've talked about, like Santander, that, that's been floated. We talked about on on the, the Patreon show, that being a possibility maybe because the Orioles didn't didn't have the level of pitching they needed in the postseason. So maybe that, that kind of swap makes sense. You're not getting an MVP season from Anthony Santander. It's just not happening. And so that's why it makes it intriguing, even if you would have to give up a controllable player like Stephen Kwan. I love to project forward and think about what future value could be, and given that you're probably not going to be paying Quan to the level of what Soto is going to get this year, like, okay, that's all true. I still am dreaming about being able to acquire a player that could have that level of impact even for one year. And so I, I would seriously consider, I, I mean, I would go about every single trade offer I could think of that didn't involve Stephen Kwan. Like I for sure would, would exhaust every resource I could to make that get done. And is there a possibility where it could exist without Kwan involved? I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm thinking it's not an instant dismissal for me is my point here. Yeah, but here's the problem with that. If you make that trade, don't you have to go do a lot more? Yeah, sure. Don't you have to yeah. say, I mean, that you're you're putting a lot of eggs in the 2024 basket. You can't limp into the season with an $85 million yes. payroll. You can't limp into the season with that being your only move. I mean, you have to go get probably a starting pitcher. You still have to get another bat or two. I mean, it's... Still a lot of work to be done, and you can't half-ass it yes. if you're going to make a move that with that short-term of focus. Okay, but hold on. Who's your best player right now? Second thing, is he getting any younger? So we're, we're building for 25, 26. Are any of us? <laughs> Except Benjamin Button? Perhaps. Is Jose Ramirez going to be better in two years than he is this upcoming year? I'm not saying that's the lone motivating with- factor. I'm just saying that is something I'm considering because... The level of, of him being a superstar, I mean, it might already be beyond us. I'm, I'm not going to put it past him to put together another great season coming up next year. But like we're, we're looking forward about what could be in two or three years. Well, shouldn't you take advantage of the fact that you still have one of the best position players in baseball? And you kind of need to take advantage of that before he's no longer that? In Kyle Manzardo? <laughs> Perhaps. We're going to get to him. Don't you worry. By the way, 11 minutes into this podcast, he's hit three more home runs. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... I, they also I, remain in the air for 11 I'm minutes. I'm fine if you want to speed up the, speed up the timeline. Like I, I'd like to see some aggressiveness from this front office. I just... I, I, I need proof that this team is a legit content. Like, go get a Soto... Go make that big swing in July. Or, because I I just Too late. you're you better be Too really late. confident that 2024 they could win a World Series. 
or what? Like you just run this back and you make slight improvements and then you just see if the kids get better and then No, I'm not Jose saying is, to do that. It's another not year either older and 25 and we're 76 years into a drought. <laughs> I'm just saying if you're going to swing that sort of trade, you got to go. I mean, you're you're saying you got to go all in. Are you not? Good. Like if that forces the front office to stop thinking about three years from now, and they dig their I'm heels in. I'm fine with that. Cool. I mean, didn't we when we first started talking about this potential trade for Soto two and a half years ago or whatever it was? That is what we made. We made that point then that you go trade for him. You are forcing yourself to bump up the timeline. So what actually would have been the twenty three. Uh, 22 deadline right so that's when that was taken that, that's when those conversations were happening that you could have bumped up the timeline and forced yourself that maybe like a, the Matt Olson trade maybe that could have done something similar good force you to to stop thinking about what could be three years from now and make yourself better now with the all of the assets I, I, you have now I hear you I just don't know that this team is a Juan Soto away while subtracting Bieber and Quan, I don't know if they're that. F- I mean, they were a seventy-six win team. We said that same thing at twenty twenty-two at the deadline. They're not. One, Do we one know Soto if Tristan away. McKenzie's elbow is is going to stay intact? Do I know Bieber's is? Yeah, that's true. I I just I mean we like you're banking. Are you banking on Manzardo in the middle of the lineup? Are you banking on Valera? Like, how? What else are you doing? Well, yeah, Manzardo is going to be Rookie of the Year. That's a pretty much a shoe in at this point. You're getting like the last great season of Jose Ramirez, a Juan Soto. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm liking this so far. Let's keep putting this together. The more I talk to you, and the more you tell me all the cons, the more I'm buying in. The more I'm going to go pros. Don't tell me about future value. Don't tell me about surplus value. Don't tell me about what Stephen Kwan might do in 2026, on a much less cut. A much less financial burden to you? Why trade Quan when you can go get another Quan and flip Bieber and pieces for Lars Newtbar? I don't think there's another Quan. That that cat seems like he's pretty unique. They're gonna go acquire somebody else to play chess in that that clubhouse? I don't think so. That ain't happening. There's like half the roster plays chess. It just, like, think about what you're saying for a minute. That Stephen Kwan stands in the way of you making this trade happen. Because that's what we're, that's what we're saying. No, 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 no. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is, I don't, I don't believe in this team yet. I, I need to see what else is on the table. If you're, if, if you pull off that trade and then the, there's a detailed blueprint on that's just step one and there are five other steps and you know there's a lot of additions coming and they're gonna make sure like they they don't have depth they don't have people you can count on so like if you're i mean look at some other teams like would you add first of all it's not just adding Juan Soto because you are subtracting two valuable players so are you whatever that Improvement is like, would you make that change to the Giants 
to the Pirates? Like the Pirates mm. had a similar record. Like the Tigers? Should the Tigers trade one of their top pitchers and one of their top hitters for Soto? Yeah, I, I, I mean, like they're not. I'm not denying that Quan and Bieber are valuable players, but also let's let's total up the wins. Soto equaled pretty much what you got win-wise out of Quan and Bieber. You have no right to be adding together war on this show. <laughs> I have destroyed you three straight years. <laughs> Do you need me to bust out the King music again? The King's entrance? People don't know about that. They don't listen to the Patreon show. They don't know about the war draft and how you've kicked my ass. With it, and they don't need to know about it. So don't go over to patreon.com slash Godcast. Don't join the Discord. <laughs> don't do it. Don't be there this upcoming week when we go back in time, Zach, for what? It was your idea, so I'm letting you promote it. One of the most... One of the most memorable games, and and not even just the game, but the I, there were like three classic Tito stories from just that day. Everything that went into it, so many surreal moments. Game three, 2016, ALCS in Toronto. I think the day that you, did you get food poisoning? You ate raw beef for some reason for lunch. I'll never understand that. It's not my fault. It's like fault. a Wednesday in Canada. It's, Why are you ordering beef tenderloin? It's not my fault. Why is it on the menu if I'm not At allowed like to At like 11 a.m. It's because I have some of the worst luck when it comes to anything food related. If you are, if we're going together to go get fast food in the drive-thru, we are stopping before we're taking off. We're opening up the bag. We're turning on the car light. And we're shuffling through there to make sure everything is in there because rest assured, something is going to be effed up. It happens every time. It's, it is a comedy bit at this point in this house that when I come home, it's going to be wrong. So I should have known. Do not order anything complex with me at any restaurant. It's going to be messed up. But what, what won't be messed up is this recap, which is one of my favorite things that we do. I already started. I don't think you have yet. I think you've got other obligations you've got to consider right now. But I started it. I realized 15 minutes into this broadcast, which is what we do. We, we go back. We watch the broadcast. We think about what's happening in the moment, what the announcers are saying. We know what's going to happen in the future. So we see all the foreshadowing. 15 minutes into this broadcast, I swear, dude, I got 90 minutes worth of stuff. It's phenomenal. That was, that was a crazy night. I don't want. I don't want to say anything that'll spoil it. Yeah, beef tender. So one, you're out. Eleven a.m. You're out on Soto, is what you're saying. Nah, I just no, I'm no, no, not you're out. out you're but out. it it almost said the phrase. It. I need to know what San Diego is trying to do, and I need to know what Cleveland's plans are. I mean, it's it's uh, Soto is incredible. I'm with you in that. At some point, the dude's just gonna have. A ridiculous the season where he goes season. Yeah, 310, 460, 620. <laughs> the Barry Bonds um, season. <laughs> and maybe, yeah, maybe he does that up in, in Cleveland. Who knows? I, I just, I need to know more. And I, I'm with you. Like, I don't get me wrong here. I, I am team, push your chips in, be more aggressive. For God's sakes, do something. I'm, I'm poking with the stick, right? Do something. But at this weird stage, I, I don't know what they have here. Who's the manager? What's the manager's vision? And what is what's the freaking plan? Like, did you learn from your mistakes? Are you going to be more aggressive in trying to fix them? 
Are you going to try to trot out a lineup that has a freaking chance? And I, I need to know that. And yeah, soda would help. But it's going to take more. He would help. And so I... Yes. He would help a little bit. <laughs> but he'd help for one year. Yeah, okay. That year, like what you're saying, what you're saying, you don't want to waste another Jose Ramirez year because he's getting older. If you're going to trade for Juan freaking Soto, you better not waste that year either. Exactly. Sure. I mean, who knows? Seattle might be targeting Jose Ramirez the, the season after. Huh. <laughs> you don't know. And as far as who the manager is, I don't know. I'm not Wahoo Willie on Twitter. I don't have all the answers who? as to who's being interviewed and who the top targets I'll are. I'll Google them. Okay, so I I hear what you're saying, and I'm not saying it's like this easy decision. As I said, I I would strive to find some way that you could find common ground without Stephen Kwan being involved. Is there any other way? And a lot of it does come down to what the Padres are truly looking for here. But if they're if they're moving Soto and they're still trying to be good, are you going to find a situation like you you have here with Cleveland? Like, who is giving up this top of the rotation starter? You mentioned the Yankees. That's what I'm saying. Who, I... who are the Who are the Yankees giving? Are they giving them Garrett Cole? I mean, how is that working? But look at look at what Bowden laid out though. It was a lot of teams offering top prospects. Is that, gonna, is that what San Diego wants here? Right. We don't. I mean, we they're. They've been all in for a few years now, and I don't think that's changing. You don't hand... I mean, they're probably saying the same thing where we can't waste... You know, Xander Bogarts isn't getting young. Like, they have some contracts that are going to get really ugly really quick. So, like, you Darvish is just starting a new long-term extension, and he's nearing 40, and, like, they're, they're, they've got a lot. They, they need to be all in, right? And that's hard to do if you're right. trimming payroll, and it's... It's just going to be interesting. I don't. I don't know. They've gotten themselves into a mess, and I don't know how you get out of that while still while being a more legitimate contender than you were. Well, it, so I think it's. I think it's crazy. depending on what they want, it could be could be a more limited trade market than you think, and maybe that's where Cleveland factors in. But I mean, the thing with with Padres, they had the weirdest season ever. Where if you looked below the hood, the offense, the pitching, some of the bull. Like you would assume that they, if they didn't win the division, they certainly made the playoffs. And looking at the record, it does not match with everything else that happens. So, I, I, I didn't really look into this too, too deeply. I don't know if it was a weird sequence thing, like we saw so much with this Guardians team and like somebody's worst game at the worst time, but overall the team is still good. So, are are you going to turn your back on that because you still thought this was a team that was capable of winning a World Series this year? Have your thoughts changed that much? And I'm not here to diagnose the Padres' problems, but but, if, but we have to we we have to have some idea of whether or not they want to run it back with just some subtle changes, or if they are just saying no, we got to make some major shifts and and shift to a younger group here, and that means that Cleveland and and San Diego aren't a great fit, or maybe they still are because you got prospects that you still need to flip and move and combine. But probably not as you also have two front offices, two front offices that work together constantly. So that can only help. But I I don't know. The Padres are weird. I mean, I think they're gonna let a Cy Young winner walk. So who knows? Maybe they'll do that twice in a row. Kudos to you, by the way. 
you should take a victory lap because uh, a year and a half ago, you begged the Guardians to go trade for Blake Snell. And pretty, I mean, and you suggested that. I think I it did. Was, I don't know if it was the trade deadline. Sounds like something I'd say. <laughs> I was. He was awful at the time you made the comment, and then he was fantastic. Is that when you wanted the dude from the Rockies with the six ERA? Yeah, yeah. Get him out of Colorado. Bad things happen to people when they go to Colorado, unless their name is Nolan Jones. I, I, I want to talk myself out of it. I want to tell me all the reasons why it doesn't make sense. But I also love the scenario where you go pick up a guy that might win the MVP this next year. And we're also talking about it like the Padres want anything to do with Bieber and Quan. We, we don't know that. We have no idea. True. You also could just keep Bieber. You could do that. For all the reasons we laid out last week. I mean, there is going to be ample opportunity to talk in depth about the Bieber situation as we get closer to the winter meetings. It's fascinating. I just, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what you can get for him. That's the thing. It's like, remember the difference in Remember the year before they traded Kluber when the Kluber rumors were at their peak and it was like, all right, give me this prospect from the Dodgers, this guy, give me Gavin Lux, Dustin May, um, I don't know, Duke Snyder, Kirk Gibson, just everyone the Dodgers have. And then a year later, it's like, hey, you got this reliever and you got Delano to Shields. <laughs> okay. Cool. That ended up working out. But there was a drastic difference because Kluber missed most of 2019. I think there were a lot of questions on, I mean, you knew Kluber, you'd have him in 2020. Obviously, he didn't stay healthy and it was a shortened season, but there were a lot of questions about whether he'd be worth the club option that the Rangers eventually declined. I just, I have no idea what to make of Bieber's value. And it's probably very different depending on the team. And that's why you get conversation. Like they're going to have to, to weigh a lot of things that you, that aren't, you know, necessarily like on the same level. Like you're going to compare trading him for minor league lottery tickets versus maybe a major league help, but not anyone splashy. I mean, unless Soto versus just keeping him and trying to have a really dominant rotation. I mean, like those are things that are, you know, you're not comparing A, B, and C. You're comparing like A, 6, and square. (laughs) And the truth is, as we talked about in our our past show, when someone asked us about a, a a hypothetical Quantrill versus Bieber setup, who has more value. And it's absolutely true that it totally depends. And for Bieber, his value depends a lot on who is trading for him because there, there could be teams that need pitching, but what the pitching that they need is we need a guy that's going to give us 180 innings this year. We don't care if it's like a three, six ERA, but we need to feel good about this guy every five days taking the ball. And if it's league average, maybe a little bit better. Great. That's what we need because we don't have a lot of that. And then there are other going to be other teams that are, are thinking, 
We've got a lot of those guys. What we need is the guy that's going to take the ball in game two, game three of a postseason series for us. And yeah, Bieber isn't guaranteed to give you great effort this year, but the ceiling is still there. The potential is still there that he could be that guy. And so he might have more value as me potentially as a team like that than to another team that's all I'm looking for is something steady that I can plug into my rotation every five days. And it's it's going to make it fascinating. But I mean, as these playoffs are unfolding, we're, we're seeing like the Phillies and they're with what they're getting out of the top of the rotation. That, that good pitching I mean, all, for all the home runs they're hitting. Phillies are succeeding right now because they got those two great starters at the top of the rotation. Oh, and they do have some superstars in their lineup, like Bryce Harper, who never needs the motivation, by the way, to, to perform like a superstar. But he does feel like a guy that gets a little bit of added motivation if someone were to make some sort of comment to him in a past series and make fun of him for getting thrown out at first base or mention something like boy" to him. I know we're weeks late on this conversation, but we've actually been begged to talk about, not that specifically, but more so as a reporter, a writer, a journalist, we're in the, the clubhouses all the time. We see things, some things we want to write about, some things we, de- we really don't want to write about. As a reporter, you have to, you have to have your own internal smell test, I guess, and decipher what's worth reporting, what can be reported on, what is on limits, what is off limits. In that situation, I felt like that was totally fair game. And as a player, you can't be mad, especially like if it's July and it's just your home group of reporters and you feel like you've you've established some level of respect and trust with certain things and somebody says something or somebody reports something you don't like, or you intended to be private and you have a conversation with that reporter, that's one thing. But what do you expect in the postseason when everybody and their brother wants to be at these games and people are in clubhouses, and that I'm not saying this is the case in this situation, but there are people that aren't typically normal reporters in the clubhouse that all have X accounts that are all going to tweet and write and talk about everything they see in there. So what do you expect? In that situation, that was totally totally laughable that anybody would be upset that somebody would would report something that's actually happening within those clubhouse walls during media availability sorry that's how that works in the postseason you're exposed for everybody to see first of all we're late on talking about this but if you listen to our last episode you'll remember tj alluded to this in the intro we just got so engrossed in the topics we were talking about that we Kind of ran out of time and forgot about it. So here we are. Late to the punch. Um, I actually learned about how to handle this in my first year as like a travel to every game beat writer. Um, It was very, I mean, this was like a good decade ago. It was very early in my career. And... I kind of overheard a conversation. It was totally harmless and stupid. It was like some one player was making fun of what another player was wearing. I don't remember what. And I tweeted about it. And the player saw it. it might have been the next day. Um I I don't remember exactly like 
I don't think it was like me being nefarious. I mean, it definitely wasn't. But I can't remember if I was like in conversation, thought I was in conversation with one of the players and then it was the other player who ended up seeing the tweet and threatened me pretty good the next day. (laughs) Pulled me aside, kind of cornered me against the locker and basically said, you ever pull that shit again, no one in here will ever talk to you again. Now, I learned, I learned certainly like you have to have a feel. So much of this is feel and it's, it's really difficult. And that's why like a lot of the conversation around this, it's easy to say from the outside and that that's not trying to be, um, holier than thou. I'm not, you know, if, if you're allowed in the clubhouse, like that is a privilege and an honor and you should treat it that way and treat it with respect. But also like you're a sports reporter. <laughs> I think a lot of people who are chiming in on this, like should get over themselves, especially then people who were like the, the whole, the Alana Rizzo thing was just such a bad look. And, and she apologized the next day. And then it got to a point as we were talking offline. And as we talk about so often where seemed like the complainers were more irritating than the actual offenders and then the complainers about the complainers. And then it's just like, it's like you get so tired of hearing that, about that's, it. That's the phrase for it. It's compound complaining. When you're more angry at the people complaining than you are now at the people that initially started all of this. Complaining. That's the so phrase. I'm with you in that in the playoffs in a crowded locker room, the, the players have to know better. I mean, you're supposed to get training on this stuff and you get a cool down period where you can yuck it up with your teammates before the media comes in. You can say some things in other rooms, go to the kitchen, go to the lounge, go to literally anywhere else except in front of the media at your locker and say what you want to say that you don't want getting out there. Like, yes, the clubhouse is a sacred space and you have to uphold the sanctity of the clubhouse. I, I, fine. Like, what does that even mean? But sure. But guess what? There's like 10, 15 minutes after a game and 45 minutes before the game where you know the media is going to be in there. So maybe it's not sacred in those 45 minutes. Okay. So I, I just, I, so much of this is feel and the feel depends on who you are and the relationships you've built and the trust that players have in you. And you just have like a sixth sense with it. And I, I, cause like there are, there are times when, I mean, I have found the best way to write about Jose Ramirez is to observe him. He's never going to give you super compelling quotes. Teammates can give you good stories about him, but like, you know, it's not great. And I remember I wanted to have a big story about him before the playoffs in 2022. And I was pulling my hair out for weeks, trying to figure out how can I really dig into who this guy is? And I had talked, I'd racked up a $93 phone bill talking to this scout in the Dominican Republic who didn't tell me he was in the Dominican Republic when I called him. And I was trying to talk to people from his, his childhood and all these things. And like, I had some good stuff, but I'm like, it didn't hit me until one day. I just, he was in one of those moods that you know well, where he's just bouncing off the walls and he's, 30 years old, acting like he's 13 and picking on his friends. And it's just, and it was just like, I got to just watch this guy. And because he's putting on a show and because he's putting on a show and he's showing off his personality, you know, he's doing it like, it's like he's doing it for the non-existent camera. 
And that is how I was like, this is it. This is how you show people who this guy is like. Take them inside the clubhouse for 45 minutes before a game on one of those days where you know he's going to hit a home run and have two doubles and, you know, go lose his helmet four times because that's what always happens when he's bouncing off the walls and challenging people to Mario Kart for a million dollars, even though that they're a rookie and they've made a hundred grand in the game. Um, And like, that's the thing where it's like, I know I can convey that and it's okay, right? But there are other times like there was there was an example in Cleveland this year of someone just eavesdropping on conversations that they probably shouldn't have been eavesdropping on and got reamed out by some players the next day. And it was testy in the clubhouse for that person and honestly for all of us for a couple of days after that. Um and I just think it's 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 a feel thing. It's it's you you're the players like especially now, like players are more distrusting than ever of reporters. Um, but they are forced to have a certain level of trust just because they know we are going to be around for a certain amount of time per day. And when they see familiar faces, that helps just builds that relationship, makes them comfortable. You have to know in the playoffs, you're going to see a lot of people and a lot of people you don't know. And so maybe something like that, as you said, in June, when it's the same, when you're on the road and there are three or four reporters traveling and those people are there every day, so you know who they are, maybe something like that happens and it doesn't get out. Now, maybe it still it might, maybe it still should, but maybe it wouldn't with those people. But in the playoffs, it's different. And I think you have to know that. And I also think it's on the teams to let players know that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the all the PR staff, all the, the the people that are around the team every day that are that liaison between the media and the players and the coaches. And that's a teachable moment right there. And I mean, I'm even thinking about it. Like, are, are they even mad about this if Harper then doesn't use it as fuel the next day? <laughs> or is it just something silly? I'm leaning towards it's probably just something silly. And I don't. It wasn't even bad. That's the thing. It's like it's not even egregious. Pretty lame trash talk. When when you hear it, you're thinking, "Oh, what did he say? Harper's this mad about it? What did he say?" Which Harper is just doing what star players do. They find some fuel, regardless of how stupid it is. Bill Belichick's been doing it for decades. That it it ultimately doesn't matter. It's silly, but you use it as fuel. Nobody believed in us. It's that mentality, right? We always joke about nobody believed in us. It's that bunker mentality. Look at them. They're all making, oh, they're having fun. They're yucking it up. Well, how about this? At the end of the day, that individual interaction getting out, not a big deal. Learn from that, hopefully, if you're the Braves. I I understand defending your own players inside that clubhouse, and, and I'm not saying you can't be frustrated or mad that it got out, but you have nobody else to blame but yourself. As a reporter, though, you're absolutely right. You just, you have to have some feel for it. And as a younger reporter, you maybe err on the side of of caution more than you should. As a veteran reporter, like, you know, you, you would know so much more about this now than you did a decade ago, certainly. Uh, and what you can get away with and the areas that that's just not worth even risking getting somebody upset about. And there are things that are very serious that need to be reported. And it doesn't matter if it gets under people's skin. And then there's other things where it's like, but I have a good relationship with this guy. I don't, 
I don't need to risk it over something like this that doesn't ultimately do anything except get a few laughs or something like that. So it's always a delicate balance. It's like the whole definition of pornography, the old, I know it when I see it. It's kind of the same thing with (laughs) the clubhouse and what you can and can report. I know it when I see it. I know the things when I see it in the clubhouse. That's cool. And I know the things eh, that's maybe that's personal or that's a conversation that I I shouldn't have been in earshot of two guys whispering in the corner. And I'm like sitting there like with my ear to it that, that like that feels kind of dirty mm-hmm. to me. You know, if if it's just something that's happening within the walls and everybody can see and hear it. Well, that that's fair game to me. And I think it's just it's difficult to note, like to give you an example without just you giving me an example. And I would say yes or no or give you the gray area on it. But it is a fascinating line for any reporter where you you always are playing this game of what it's 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 just a, a risk reward benefit here. What's worth reporting? What is my job to report and what do I maybe need to hold back on because the relationship I have or my ability to get in there and good good quotes from other people and them trusting me is more valuable than me reporting some silliness. Yeah, also let the record show, and this is typical MLB, um, the reporter in question here, Jake Mintz of the Cespedes Barbecue, is one of the greatest stewards for the game that we have. Always super curious and ambitious, he and Jordan, in finding interesting elements of the game. Like, I, it, it's we actually, every time he's in, he's in New York, based and anytime we're there he and i will we try to find this is something that they do and, and i always pick his brain about it that we try to find the most dull nondescript player in the league like they cannot have anything interesting about them whatsoever like if they're left-handed they're out if they went to a cool college like a unique college they're out if they so you're and if they Play an interesting position, like a shortstop, they're out. So you, we, I can't remember. There was someone on the Guardians maybe two years ago who kind of fit. Um, But he's he's just such an expert at highlighting the, the people in the game. And we don't have enough of that. MLB doesn't do a good enough job of that themselves. So it figures that he is the one <laughs> being raked over the coals for this. Right. And certainly this was not his intention to to stir something up like this. And I think right. a lot of people just, they, they I think a lot of people just say, well, it's media. Media is just trying to start shit. And that's not what this was. No, you know, baseball needs more of connection with the YouTube, TikTok side of just the world. And the, the chewable sound bites and the silliness and... Just the fun aspect of baseball that absolutely need more of that. Um, and this is to put a bow on this conversation. Again, we stress this all the time. It's not that you and I have all the answers. It's just our two opinions on this, this entire thing. And I, I always find it fascinating to talk shop and, and get an idea of, of how other people think about how they approach their job. I find it fascinating. Now, not everybody in our audience has ever been in a clubhouse. Many have not. I wish we could bring you all in and we could all tweet about all the silliness we see inside the clubhouse. But I do I want to put this out. It's not that you or I feel like 
Oh, wait, just talk to us. We, we know what's going on here. If anybody has any questions, you talk to us. Not at all. It's, I just find it fascinating. And I like having these conversations with you because we don't even talk about these sorts of things all the time. And I love getting your perspective on how you go about it. It's a perfect segue into our Q&A, some of our leftovers. This episode has kind of been a little bit of a take the tinfoil off, throw it in the microwave, reheat it. Because uh, this conversation and also some of our questions and answers, which we were called out for because I mentioned, oh, we're probably going to get to three or four of these on the Patreon show. And yeah, we, we did get to three or four of those. We did have some leftovers, and I wanted to mention one of them came from Homestar. I don't Homestar Runner? Like the, the picture actually would relate to that. They wanted to know more about your writing process. How do you go about, from start to finish, how is an article formed? And I imagine it's not necessarily like something obviously happens in a game. You're going to write about it. More of like a feature story, I would, I would imagine they're curious about. Oh boy, they're like snowflakes. No two are the same. Um, I don't know. I'm trying. So I'm trying to think of like bigger ones I've written recently, and they're all totally different. Like I had that Will Benson feature a few weeks ago. That was five years in the making. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I think the main thing is I always want to find something that. First of all, I try to think what would what would I want to read. I think that's the simplest advice I can give people breaking into the business because I think that that it's so simple, but it's like, sometimes I read things. I'm like, do you find this interesting? Why are you writing it? If you don't find it interesting, like it'll show in your work. So I try to, what would I be interested to read or to know more about? And what's something I can find that people maybe don't know? And, and it's, it's cliche, but it's like, these are people. Everyone has an interesting story. And I think when you know someone's story to some people, I think that, you know, it makes you easy to root for, or it's just, you feel more invested when you're watching that player perform. So the, the, the writing process, I mean, I, it's just, it totally varies. I, I, I think I'm like a psychopath with it. I'll have, like for a bigger story, I'll have a page, a, a Word document of, you know, you have all your quotes, but then I, I try to, I, I hate using quotes. You know, the rule of thumb I used from a mentor a long time ago was he told me, only use a quote if they're saying something more interesting than you can write it. So I go through all the quotes and I'm like, what are the what are the scenes here? What are the scenes that I can paint the picture? And then how do I tie it all together? And for me, I feel like this is pretty common with writers, but like I cannot get going on a story until I have the opening scene. What's my lead? How am I starting this thing? And then it helps me figure out where I'm going. But I mean, I'll have a Word document with all the quotes, I'll have a Word document with notes off of that and then i'll have like the first draft is i use this is we don't need to get this nitty-gritty I, I don't know i mean it depends what this person wanted to know but like i won't even write in full sentences because i don't want to put the pressure on myself that i'm closer to the finish line than i am so it'll be like 
it'll just be like a notes page where it's like a dash and then like a sentence that's not perfect. Like there's no capital letters, there's no punctuation because then I feel like, okay, I can re I can write through that in the next version and then make it actual sentences. And the, so the reason I'm telling you this is if you looked on my laptop, it's not as bad right now because I just finished <laughs> a bunch of big projects, but like I feel like right around the time of Tito's last home game, and I had just written like the Will Benson story, the Alan Wiley, the blind broadcaster story. And I was workshopping the 75 year drought story. I had two big Tito stories and like, like that was a lot at once. And I, and one day I counted, it was like 47 word documents were open on my screen at once. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's, it's psychotic behavior. Um, but it's, you know, the, the best stories are the ones that you write and rewrite and rewrite as as many times as possible and to me and i've like i've picked the brains of and studied some really really good writers i've been fortunate enough to meet wright thompson remember when wright thompson came to cleveland during the 22 game winning streak and i felt like he and i had a nice kinship that week and i just picked his brain constantly and learned so much um jeff perlman is another one and he's got a great podcast two writers slinging yang where feel like I've learned so much listening to great writers that he's interviewed. Um, and the main thing is like, you can always get more detail. It's, it's something like Jeff Perlman always says all the time. It's like, instead of saying Will Benson drives to work in his car, what kind of car? It's more interesting if you say he drives to work in his red Jeep. Drives to work in his red Jeep and looks at the little trinket hanging from his mirror of his baby son like just the details make everything and that's how you get to know that's you can really identify with the people in the story and you really paint a picture and that's my favorite type of writing um and it's i think the best thing about sports writing too is this process i'm describing is so different than if i'm writing an in-depth analysis of a trade or something i witnessed in it you know writing about the tom hamilton's call of the jose ramirez fight i think that variety one it it's just great to have variety two it keeps you sharp and it makes you know my feature writing probably makes my regular writing better and i think in some ways the opposite's true does that Answer the question oh, here. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what we're looking. I mean, we for. could spend three hours doing this. I'm sure and getting fascinating things. I love the element of your writing where you learn something you didn't even know that you learned, which is that detail that you're talking about. Dry. Will Benson drives in whatever car, but that's the sort of thing that as you're reading it, you you don't register it. You just keep reading, but you learned it without even acknowledging. It wasn't a quote. It wasn't a something. wasn't a flashlight. wasn't shed on that. It was just something that you added as a detail that now you understand. As a reader, you ha you now can picture it as he's driving. Like you've got the detail, and you do such a great job of that. But I can confirm, you are absolutely a psycho, <laughs> because <clears throat> you always carry around, excuse me, a notebook that has the smallest font that any person could ever ever write. You had the point on your pen or pencil could never get dull because then you could never write as small as you want to 
Someone's going to Stephen Kwan screenshot me there. <laughs> Steal all my ideas. Yeah. And it's just this lengthy list. And you guard it like it's your life. No, 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 no. You can't see this. This is just like any writer. Even when you have the final version, it's like, eh, but I could tweak. I could tweak. That's not the final version. You're throwing out all those caveats. So whatever, dude, you do a do great the, job. One other thing I want to say, like the root of all writing is reporting, right? Like that's how you get the extra details is because you circle back and pester that source for the 83rd time and say, hey, by the way, what type of bat were you holding when you were 14 <laughs> years old? But like, I, I think the key too is, you know, obviously you have to build relationships, right? And I, I'm able to write a feature about, you know, I'm able to write, these Tito things because I've been around him for 11 years. And I also have been around people who have been around him for 40 years. And so I'm able to, they're able to, I'm able to get them to open up to me. Right. So that helps. And then two, sometimes I remember with the, the story I wrote about, and, and this is one, like I cherish, I think more than, or as much as maybe any other. Um, I wrote one about Steve Olin's kid in March on the 30th anniversary of the tragic boating accident. And I knew for like three years, I needed to have something. I wanted to have something on that anniversary, but I wanted it to be something new. And that's, that can be the hardest thing is finding something new. And I remember I talked to like everybody in that family who would talk to me. And for a long time, I mean, I was doing reporting for like six months and I'm like, I've got a story, but it's, so much of this has already been written for decades and like I didn't want to put the family through more pain. And then on like the ninth conversation with Steve Olin's son, I like learned some new stuff and was able to sort of reframe the story in a way that I think was really cool. And um, so much, I mean, I had written and rewritten. I had all my seven drafts in different Word documents up until that point. And then it was also like a few days before the deadline. Then I'm rewriting the story. And it's just, it's because you're doing the reporting. You're talking to people over and over, getting more details, digging deeper. I mean, a lot of times it's like a therapy session. Like, you know, the people get so comfortable with you. And each each time you talk to them, you're you're finding new ground to cover. And I mean, that has happened constantly, um, you know, and, and so... You know, a lot of times, like, whoever they hire as manager, I will Google the hell out of them and research them and see, just try to learn as much about them as I can before I actually talk to them. And then then I feel like I have a starting point. And then over time, you build that relationship and, um, you know, maybe stuff has been written about them in the past, but just in talking to them over and over again, maybe I can get deeper and build on that and find something new. Well, I don't have any appropriate way to segue to this other than to say... <laughs> We're moving on to the next question, which comes from, let's see, Benjamin, our pal Benjamin, 76, in the Discord. What has to happen to have Rocchio and Manzardo starting on opening day? Is that a possibility, do you think? For Manzardo, I'm thinking, what's the possibility where he's not starting on opening day? And where can I sign up to go fight somebody to make it happen? Because as we've laid out before, Given what he continues to do <laughs> into the fall, 
this dude could very well go win Rookie of the Year next year, not even as a meme, not as a funny joke, legitimately. So there's no reason to hold him back. There's a good chance he's going to win Rookie of the Year this year unless you hold him out until July. So uh, if there's a chance he might get his year of service time regardless of when you call him up, you better make sure he's on op- on the opening day roster unless for some reason he's not healthy or he like went hitless in all of spring training. Those are the only two scenarios where I can see where he doesn't open the, the year on the on the team. Otherwise, there's no scenario that makes sense. None. Forget it. Two questions. One, will the new manager be as averse to rookies in April as Terry Francona was? Because <laughs> that's part know. of this. I don't know. I don't know. And two, there is a lot to think through. I almost think this decision has to be made pre-spring training. Or it doesn't have to be made, but it has to be, they have to think it out. Like they have to have a day where it's like, all right, today we're talking about Manzardo and what to do with him. Because it's done. Conversation's over. We could have it in 30 seconds. Right. We're on he's to either, lunch. He's on the opening day roster and you let him play and you're rooting for him to win rookie of the year. If you do the thing where you hold him back a couple weeks to get the extra year of service time and then promote him, he could still win rookie of the year and get that service time. So that seems pointless, right? Dumb. So it's like, if you're going to hold him back, I feel like you have to hold him back long enough to not have a chance to win rookie of the year. And for what reason? And then that... For what reason? That just hurts you. (laughs) Simply just to have more control, but you're not gaining as much control as you would like because you're holding him back two months. I don't know. So I'm with you. It makes more sense to have him on opening day. Um... But why, what if you just signed him to like a seven-year, yes. $70 million contract? And it don't matter, right? Don't matter. Yeah. Uh, is is there a, uh, a prospect that you can recall feeling more, <laughs> more eager to do that with? And it's not even that, like, I project him forward and I think, oh, this guy's going to be an MVP someday. First baseman and DHs don't win that award anymore. <laughs> Unless you're Shohei and you're also pitching. Okay, but he feels like such a safe bet to be an above-average hitter. And he can, lefties, righties, it's not going to matter. He's got the underlying skills to make him a a guy that's always going to have a safe floor. I don't know, we've said that about guys that we've probably been wrong about. That's fine. I delete those episodes. But still, this one feels like as safe a bet as you can make that you're going to have a productive player for as long as he is part of your roster. And to me, I'd rather pay that guy and hold on to him, given he's a first baseman slash DH, I'd rather pay him and hold on to him for those 20s as opposed to, you know, worrying about, like with Josh Naylor, you got to worry at least a little bit about what the back end of an extension might look like now, given the sort of hitter he is. a guy that expands the strike zone. Works now, probably going to work for the next three, four years, but there's going to be a time where there's going to be a hill for that sort of hitter. At least I think that you're going to have to worry about them going over. For Manzardo, I feel like this is a, this is going to be an above-average player, and I'd absolutely explore paying him right now before ever setting foot in the major leagues. I have nothing to add. <laughs> I agree. Okay, so what about... And it makes your decision easier for next year. Exactly. What about the Rokio? And he doesn't have to have the pressure of, oh, shit, it's April 19th and I'm hitting 170. 
Are they going to send me down? Like, you got paid. Relax. They like you. How's Rokio starting at shortstop on opening day? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's possible. Like, you don't need to manipulate anything there because you just need to find a shortstop to take it and run with it. I just, if Arius has the leg up just because he's first in line, because he, I guess at this point, you just need to find out. Like, like if Arius doesn't win the starting shortstop job, how does he, how does he at ever become the everyday shortstop? That's where I'm kind of confused. With Rokio, at least, you could find out about Arias first, make a decision, then go to Rokio. I, you just don't want to be flip-flopping all year. No. So the one thing with Ari, there's a part, there's an element here with Arias that we we can't explore because we don't know exactly maybe what they told him to work on this offseason. What what to come to spring training to be ready to do or what changes in approach or as a hitter, you know, what what sort of things can he do to be a better hitter against a fastball, let's say. You know, be more prepared to do more damage against heaters and not get beat on pitches in the strike zone. And what if he comes to spring training and they don't feel like he's he's made enough strides there or they're not happy with some of the development that he's undergone in this offseason. And meanwhile, Rokio did focus in on something that they told him and he comes to camp and he's on fire and he's he's playing well i mean as as it stands now arius would be the guy that would get the first shot for me but there's an element here of of unknown what do they tell these guys going into spring training what, what are they what are they working on what areas do they think they can they improve upon oh by the way what if they have it in a completely different hitting staff in place I, I, I don't know what if the new hitting staff they bring in greatly values a different player over somebody else and they work with them and they feel like they can unlock something and they do. I, I don't know. What if they trade for Soto what and if? then they're like, screw all these shortstops we've stockpiled. Let's go swing a trade for Francisco Lindor. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I was going to save this one. But it's we can do this pretty quickly. Cola Girl, twenty-seven. Of the arbitration players, who do you think's got the best chance to be non-tendered? Bieber, right? It's obviously Bieber. I think Cam Gallagher. Yeah, on the bubble, I would say Gallagher. Loriano is still on the bubble. The projection from MLB trade rumors was four point seven. Would you pay four point seven for a guy that plays the skinny side of the platoon? But more than that, like he does allow you some protection in potentially three outfield spots that he could could be an everyday player for you. And I, I think that's pretty good protection for what shouldn't be a lot of money, but it's also not my money. Don't you think in a typical Cleveland offseason, he would be the guy, the free agent they'd sign to fix their outfield for one year at four or five million? <laughs> yeah. So just get it out of the way. <laughs> you already got him. <laughs> You're familiar with him. Yeah, Quantrill is going to get paid. Naylor is going to get paid. McKenzie, do they, can they explore something? Do they want to explore something long-term with him? Would he just say, what are you, what? I'm not signing anything right now. Or would he say, yeah, yeah I'll sign right now because I'm unsure. 
I don't know. That that's a that's a tough one. Uh, De Los Santos, Henches, and Sandlin are all going to get paid, I would imagine. So I, I think it comes down to Gallagher, Loriano's on the bubble, and then there's James Karinchek, around two million dollars. For someone with his strikeout rate and his track record, I don't see the harm in that. Um, the other thing with this, like, no matter what your payroll is, I don't care if your payroll is fifty million or three hundred million. Someone making two million shouldn't. The overall payroll should never factor into the equation of whether to sign that person. If you're a little gun-shy to sign someone for $20 million because you have budgetary restraints, even if they're self-inflicted, whatever. But like $2 million should never matter. You should always be... If there is a player who can provide you value and they cost $2 million, like no matter what your payroll is, there should be no... Money should not be an issue. What if it's negative? So to value? me, it's just it's just ability. It's It's just the roster spot. What if it's negative value when he was on your war draft team? What What if? It's just a hypothetical. <laughs> Couldn't be me. Just a hypothetical situation. No, as as we talked about before when you asked me like in August, it's it, it to me it has little to do with the arbitration salary. It's could you use that roster spot to house some, a prospect or a reliever you like better? But like isn't his isn't doesn't he give you more upside than Hunter Gaddis or someone uh, like that? I mean, hypothetically, yeah. But boy, how is he going to hold a base runner next year? Couldn't do it all this year. Isn't that something you can work on? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <sighs> there were so many things said about me when I was younger. <laughs> That's something he can work on that I still suck at. <laughs> <laughs> including staying on topic and on point and doing all the things that we intended to do on this show. I will get better at that at some point. boy, TJ. Don't quote me on that, though. Uh, that was, that's supposed to be between us. Okay, stop what you're doing right now. I want you to be there this upcoming week when we do the 2016 Game 3. So where can they do that, Zach? Patreon? Yeah, yeah that was your key. Patreon.com slash <laughs> Selby is Godcast. SeatGeek? <laughs> Use code Selby. Start a, podca- a podcast on Spotify. I don't know. Take advantage of all of the things we tell you about. <laughs> <laughs>